today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Paul taught them with his words, and then he lived it out with his actions. That should be a scene that should be understood, that if the apostle of the Lord was willing to work with his hands, then the body of Christ should live that way too. Paul and the ministry team, they were living their lives out as an example to the believers there in Thessalonica. Paul could have pulled the apostle card out and said, hey, you know what, I'm an apostle. So you guys need to take care of me. After all, you know, I'm called to the church on this particular very important ministry. Paul was an example of working hard for the church. He spoke on the importance of work and not just letting the church take care of you. Today, Pastor David commends Paul's efforts to live a life of example rather than just a preaching. He was not a man that said, do what I say and not as I do. His followers could look to his example of how to live a Christian life and follow Jesus wholeheartedly. Are you that kind of example? Can people look to you and see a hard worker and a lover of Jesus? Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message from the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, A Call to Work. Now, we started this study actually last week as we got into the beginning of chapter 3. We didn't get too far, so that's where we're going to start this morning, here at the beginning of chapter 3. We're going to quickly see that, again, these two issues, those that are living disorderly and those that are, in essence, freeloaders, they do pretty well intersect each other. The actions of one brings about the consequences of the other. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden of any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, 
If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Man, that is a mouthful when we look at this. On the one hand, there's this positive understanding that the believers there in Thessalonica, they were excited about the Lord's return. They, they were anticipating, they, they, they lived daily with that anticipation. Maybe today is the day. They, they live with that excitement in their life. Oh, that the church today continued to have that excitement, that anticipation that, man, this could be the very day that the Lord could come again. It seems that the church kind of goes in waves with that. Maybe it's just depending upon the situation of the world and the economy and things. Sometimes we see the church very excited about the coming of the Lord. Other times we see the church just kind of, again, almost to the point of being flatlined spiritually. In Thessalonica, at that point in time, there was this great anticipation in their spirits and in their lives as a whole that the Lord could come back at any moment. And that what, that's an awesome way to live. The problem was, is when those uh, had, that, that had a wrong understanding of their own personal responsibility, how they ought to be living while they waited for the Lord's return. First of all, Paul reminds them that when he came to them, he and those that came with him, the ministry team that came with him, they continued to labor with their hands. They didn't just come and sit in Thessalonica waiting for the Lord's return. No, they labored with their own hands. They raised their own finances necessary to meet their everyday needs. Look what he says there in verse seven. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden on any of you. Paul taught them with his words and then he lived it out with his actions. That should be seen, that should be understood that if the apostle of the Lord was willing to work with his hands, then the body of Christ should live that way too. Paul and the ministry team, they were living their lives out as an example to the believers there in Thessalonica. Paul could have pulled the apostle card out and said, hey, you know what, I'm an apostle. So you guys need to take care of me. After all, you know, I'm called to the church on this particular very important ministry. I don't want to dirty my hands. I'm going to keep myself busy in the word and in prayer, and that's it. But Paul knew, no, we're going to work. We're going to take care of things. We're going to stay busy in the word and prayer, but we're going to take care of the needs that we have. He, he, he understood, he knew as he speaks to them there that it wasn't, as he says in verse nine, it wasn't because they didn't have the authority to do that to work, they or to stop the work, but to make themselves as an example of how the church then should follow them. He says in verse 10, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. 
if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, picture the scene for a moment, if you would. You're, you're there at the church in Thessalonica. You're really excited, man. We got our second letter from the Apostle Paul. And they're sitting there sharing these things. Someone in the fellowship, Brother Simeon, he's up there and he's reading this letter from the Apostle Paul. You're all excited about this. You're listening to this. You're excited about the Lord's soon return. You're concerned about the apostasy, those that are falling away in the last days. You yourself, man, you want to stand fast. You want to hold to the traditions that you were taught. And uh, again, you're, you're just really amening everything that's being said in this letter. And as Brother Simeon, gets to that point in the letter where he says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And all of a sudden you look around and everybody's eyes are on you. And you say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I quit my job because I know the Lord's coming. I don't know about you guys. I'm just, I know the Lord's coming and I'm just waiting for his return. That's why I quit working. Everybody says, yeah, but you were over at my house last night asking for bread. You were over at my house two nights ago asking for this and this. You're just not doing anything. And as Paul says, those that stopped working, they became busybodies. They started getting in everybody's business at that point in time. And Paul speaks very harshly about this whole thing. They were sponging off of everyone else. They were freeloading while the rest of the fellowship was still working. And beloved, the rest of the fellowship understood. They saw it. Somehow that word got back to Paul. Paul, Paul found out, not because he was there seeing it, but because somebody had shared with him, hey, you know, there's some folks in the fellowship, they've just stopped working, they've become busybodies, they think or they're saying or they're trying to push themselves off as someone super spiritual, but actually they're just sponging off of everybody else. The amazing thing is, Paul had warned them, even in the first letter, about these kinds of people. Even in the first letter, he told the church, warn those who were idle and unruly. Now, here in the second letter, he brings back this discussion. He brings it back again, since apparently there were still some within the fellowship that weren't heeding that warning. And when we look at the whole of this discussion, Paul warns the church against those that are disorderly or unruly. Now, this, this idea of not working, this idea of being a, a busybody, seems to be a result of this unruliness or this disorder within their lives. Let's face it, when the church of Thessalonica, when, when you look at them, apparently there were some folks within that church that were lazy and disorderly. They were not living their lives really the way the Lord wanted them to be lived. I'm glad that we've gotten over that in these days. We don't have that kind of thing ever happening in the church today. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we can easily see Paul uses the same word, this word disorderly uh, in verses 6, 7, and 11. Verse 6, he says, we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every, bro withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions when, which he received from us. Verse 7 says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you. And then down in verse 11, he uses it. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. 
Now, it's interesting, this word that's translated, at least in my New King James, as disorderly, it's the Greek word ataktos. Now, ataktos, the, the, the word begins with an A, and many times in the Greek, when the word begins with an A, it puts a negative connotation on the word. The root word there is tasso, and that means order, it means discipline, it means in a mannerly way or assigned to a set position, but these individuals, as part of the body of Christ here in Thessalonica, they were living their lives atoktos, in a negative sense. They were out of order, they were unbridled, they were without discipline. Now Paul comes in not simply uh, with a suggestion or even his own uh, direction here. He declares to them actually a, a command. He says, I command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the command to the church was that they withdraw from such a person. Now we'll look at that withdrawing in, in a moment. But for now, you, you need to realize that there's more to this situation than just some that are simply not working. Paul says that there needs to be some kind of disciplinary measures taken by the church for those who walk disorderly, not according to the tradition that they had received from us. In other words, Paul is saying what we had taught you, what, we, what we've uh, sent letters to you, they're walking not according to those things. The idea is that this not working was only a symptom of what was going on. The inactivity, their idleness, uh, merely a symptom. That activity of being a busybody there, just a symptom. All of this coming as a result of a life that was out of order, a life unbridled in their discipline. And here Paul telling the church, you need to withdraw from every brother, oh, and ladies, by inference, it's every sister also, okay? So understand that. We want to be fair here, okay? Withdraw from every brother who walks in such a way. Well, again, we'll look at that deal of withdrawing in, in a moment. Paul warns him here, verse 12. He says, now those who are such, we command and we exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they walk in quietness and they eat their own bread. Once again, this isn't just Paul's idea. No, he, he commanded and exhorted through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting here as Paul both commands and exhorts. You know, this is the only place we find as Paul writes that he does both. He commands and exhorts at the very same time. The word command is a military term. It's giving orders, those in higher authority, speaking to those in the lower ranks. The idea is the necessity of obeying the command. You really don't have any choice in the matter. When the higher authority, your commanding officer, gives you a command, you can't say, well, let me think about that for a moment. Or, you know, that really doesn't fit into my schedule today. That's not going to work. When the higher authority gives you a command, you are required to do it. And Paul here, he brings this charge, he says, through the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, beloved, you and I, we have no other choice but to obey the word of the Lord and the command of the Lord, or we are found to be disobedient. 
That's just flat out the way it is. When God speaks into our hearts or when his word declares to us his truth and we say, you know what? I'm not comfortable with that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't fit into my personality style. I'm gonna go do something else. You, at that point in time, you step into that area of disobedience. And even our disobedience, that's, that's a much stronger word than this idea of just simply being out of order or unbridled. Here, we, when we're commanded of something, then our disobedience actually moves into insubordination. It moves into defiance. It moves into rebellion against the very command of God. But then we see here, he's not only do I command, but I exhort you. He adds an exhortation to this command. An exhortation is the kind of idea of of an older brother coming to a a younger brother and just really concerned about the the track of their life and say, man, I, I see what's going on in your life right now and I'm concerned for you. You need, to, you need to change, you need to turn around, you need to go another way. Not in a judgmental type of a thing, but in the love of a brother speaking to a brother or a sister speaking to a sister, saying, man, I see the things that are going on in your life, and you as a believer, you know those things are not of Christ. Let me walk with you, let me encourage you. It's an exhortation, it's a heartfelt appeal, not a command but a pleading, an encouraging, and an urging. Paul commands and he exhorts. Those that are living their lives in this unruliness, in this disorder, and he commands them to repent. Don't go that way anymore. Their lives needed to change. They needed to see the necessity to work in quietness and to eat their own bread. For the rest, those who had been faithful in their lives, in their walk with the Lord, those who had continually worked with their own hands, those that cared for their own needs, Paul encourages them in verse 13, do not grow weary in doing good. I can see how this would be necessary to, to, to receive. You're part of the fellowship and you see these guys over here and they're not, not, not you guys, but you know, a, 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 you see a, a group within the body that, that man, they're just not doing what they ought to do and yet they're just kind of floating along and they're sponging off of everybody else and yet you want to live your life according to what God has said. You want to live your life faithful. You want to live your life obedient and you see these others that call themselves believers And they're not living in faithfulness. They're not living in obedience. And you just grow weary because, man, let's face it, disobedience, or obedience, I'm sorry, obedience is hard work. Obedience is hard work. It's a difficult thing. I've shared it with you before. Any dead fish can float downstream. It's when you become a live fish and you're trying to swim upstream that the difficulty comes. Oh, and by the way, as you're, trying to swim upstream, all those dead fish keep coming and hitting you right in the face. You see, it's difficult work to walk in obedience. And that's why Paul says, man, for the rest of you, don't grow weary in doing good. 
their willingness to work with their own hands, provide for themselves, for their families, for others. Man, that was a good thing. It was a worthwhile thing. That attitude of selfless life for them, bringing about this willingness to work and and not grow weary in the midst of the call that God had on their life. Their their overall commitment to the sovereignty of of, of God brings with it this understanding that all that they do, all that they do, they do it as unto the Lord. And beloved, that's the understanding that you and I as believers need to have within our lives. All that we do is unto the Lord. If you are his, you're living your life to his glory. We are called as believers to be those who live our lives both through work, through leisure, all of that for the glory of God. Guys, it's what some have called the Puritan work ethic, and, but it was long before the Puritans. It was also called the Protestant work ethic, but it was long before the Protestants. It's also called, believe it or not, it's called the Calvinist work, work ethic, but it was long before John Calvin or Martin Luther. Paul writes it continually within his writings. We, we see it here in verse 12. Work in quietness and eat your own bread. He told the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he says, therefore, rather you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. To the church in Colossia, he writes in chapter three, he says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. All that we do for the glory of God. Robert Tomasi, in an introduction to his book, Jesus Works Here, it's a great title. He writes these words. He said, work is sacred. It was ordained by God from the beginning, before the fall of man. After the fall, it just got tougher, frustrating, exhausting, and sometimes even boring. But work pursued with excellence and integrity is still pleasing to God, a way of honoring him by serving in the unique ways he has equipped us. Our work often provides the opportunities to proclaim him to a broken, unredeemed world through our example as well as by our words." That's a powerful statement. And I believe it's a strongly true biblical statement of what God's call is for every believer. God has called us to occupy until he comes, not sit on our laurels waiting for him to come. Many, if you think about it, many of the parables of Jesus speaks about an honest labor, a continual labor until the master returns. Beloved, our work, all of our work is sacred for the glory of God. This is not only our call and privilege, it's our command from the Lord. That's why it is so important where we work. Do we take a job just to gain money? Or do we look and say, Lord, what would you have me to do for your glory? Maybe that next job isn't as much as you're making now, 
but God has a better reason for it, a better purpose for it. God, where would you have me go? Well, our time with you today on The Open Word is almost over. You don't have to wait to hear more from the book of 2 Thessalonians. Pastor David's here to tell you how you can access our messages right now. Hey, thanks, Chris. All the messages you enjoyed here on The Open Word are available on our website. Just visit theopenword.com and click on Teachings. You can scroll through our archive and listen online, or you can download the teachings to take with you on the go. I've even provided my notes for most of the teachings so you can read right along. You might see something new your ears may have missed. Feel free to share any of my teachings if you feel it would benefit a friend or a family member. That website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment and ask you to consider being a partner of The Open Word. As we continue to spread the good news of the gospel through the airwaves, we want to make sure we're focused on Jesus first and our jobs second. That's where you come in. Would you commit to praying for Pastor David and those of us creating the open word? Pray also that those who are hearing about Jesus would have open hearts to receive his hope and grace. We'd also like to ask you to consider partnering with us financially. Any amount is useful and greatly appreciated. Find out more by visiting theopenword.com and clicking on support. Thank you for bringing this and us before the Lord in prayer. Join Pastor David next time to continue studying the book of 2 Thessalonians right here on The Open Word.